You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Jeffrey. Skylight Books is an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. We're open every day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. and require all customers to wear masks in the store regardless of vaccination status. We also offer online shopping and curbside pickup through our website, skylightbooks.com, and you can check out our upcoming events on our Crowdcast page, uh, crowdcast.io backslash skylightbooks. It's a real pleasure to be joined today by uh, musician Jess Williamson. We're going to do a little talking about reading, songwriting in the very weird world of secondhand book selling. How are you today, Jess? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Mike? I'm doing pretty well. I'm enjoying the gloom. I know you said you're not enjoying it so much, but it's a nice gray day in LA as it feels like it is every time I host the show. <laughs> are you drinking alcohol? No, it's just um, Sicilian blood orange soda with a little oh, bitter. Nice. Yeah, yeah, a little bit bitter. That would be bad news if you called me out on the clock. (laughs) It's Jess Soda. (laughs) Jess is a Texas-born, LA-based singer-songwriter. Her most recent album, Sorceress, came out on Mexican Summer in the spring of 2020, and she's about to head out on tour with Jose Gonzalez. Are you excited for that? Yeah, I am. I'm really stoked for the tour. It's going to be cool. It's going to be he's solo and I'm solo, Mm. which is nice. So it's like a really small crew. I'm stoked for this one. Those are We're like playing. My, what? Keep going. You go. No, those are like my favorite kind of shows. I, I like just straight singer-songwriter on stage with guitar, no band. Dude, and like they're seated. Like all the shows are seated in like theaters and stuff, which is ideal when you're like solo acoustic. Like I'm going to play, I think I'm going to play acoustic guitar, which is kind of new for me live i'm excited to really just feel like a straight up like folk singer yeah yes yes it certainly as like an audience member i always prefer the seated for that kind of show because you know if i'm just standing stock still if there's like a level of self-consciousness there whereas in the seat you just kind of zone out and it's the best yeah i know i like seeing shows seated also it's funny like i like playing sh- if i'm with a band i like if the crowd is standing because there's like an energy But when I'm solo, I like a seated audience. I think it's nice. It's like we can all just kind of like sink into like a quiet, slow thing. Have you ever tried the move of telling people to sit down on the floor of like a GA? Because that I've seen it go, you know, well and not so well when people make that suggestion. No, I've never asked people to sit down. I don't think I've ever asked people to do anything. (laughs) You know, sometimes people are like, you guys like come a little closer or like, yeah. Can y'all stop talking? I don't know. I often think it can be awkward if like the person on stage makes a request of the audience. It can, yes. it can be tricky. Playing with fire yeah. a little bit. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I also, I've certainly had shows where like I'm solo and people are talking and it's like, I think you just have to pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. You know, like. I went on a tour in the fall and there were a couple shows where there were some talkers and it's just like, it, it's so cringe. I think when the person is like, um, excuse me, uh, can you listen to me? Like do this thing I'm doing, you know, it's just like, yes, yes. <laughs> you gotta get them to be quiet 
by the power of your song. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Where they want to listen and pay attention. That's my that's my thoughts on that one. But I find the seated vibe. There's less talkers. Yeah, yeah, because there's like a, a built-in reverence there. You know, it's like you're you're at the movies or at like you know the theater or something. When you're sitting down and facing a stage, like it's not a talking environment. Totally. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a musician. Um, about because you studied photography first right Mm -hmm. yeah I did in college and then what was like um when did the pivot sort of occur for you well thank you for asking I like talking about this because I was like always a singer like as a little kid you know like I was always like like as a little tiny kid it was like what do you want to be when you grow up and I was like I want to be a singer like Dolly Parton you know and then that kind of got like beat that dream kind of got like beaten out of me a little bit like when like I was in high school and I remember thinking like well if I'm 16 and I'm not already a singer like Britney Spears that it's never gonna happen like I literally thought that and so like I was just like in high school in Dallas like being a high school kid in Dallas and then it was like time to figure out like college and stuff and I was like oh I guess like you go to college you know like so I went to UT and like studied photography and stuff but like had this nagging like desire you know to pursue music but I didn't really play an instrument you know I just like sang but I I, all my friends were in bands and like I was always photographing my friends bands I was a huge music nerd like I wrote about music for our UT newspaper and like I had a radio show and you know I was like a big fan and then like towards the end of my time in Austin I started taking banjo lessons and like I started writing my first songs on the banjo and then I moved to New York for a little while and I went to graduate school there actually for photography because I kind of just like didn't know what to do with myself do you know what I mean like I was like finishing college and I was only 21 when I graduated college. I like was always like the young kid. So it just like worked out that I was just really young, like finishing school. And I applied to one grad school and I was like, well, I guess if I get in, I'll go. And it was for this MFA in photography program at uh, Parsons at the new school in New York. And so I like take out all these loans and I like pack up my bags. I like moved to New York and I went for two semesters and like it was awesome I learned a lot but then I was like I started to freak out because I realized like I had had this secret dream of like pursuing music and it kind of it was this now or never moment like Mm -hmm. when I was seeing like you know especially like the loans that I was taking out and stuff and it was like oh if I if I like stay in this program I'm gonna have to get you know a salaried job like in this field like it's kind of now or never I'm 21 and so I dropped out of grad school and I had been writing some songs and I had like started a li- like my first ever music project with my friend that was also my neighbor in New York that was also a friend of mine that moved to New York from Texas and so that was what it was it was an experiment I was just like you know it's now or never like the time to try this is in my 20s and like 
if it doesn't work out, I'll finish grad school and I'll like do something else. But I have to know, I just like need to know if I can do this or not. And so that's how it started. I had a band in New York called Rattlesnake and we played like our first ever show was at Death by Audio in Williamsburg, which is gone now. This was like 2010 or 2009. And that band was really only active for like six months or so. And then I moved back to Austin and decided I was just going to have a solo project because I found the band dynamic to be a little bit difficult of like, you know, everything is, you're always kind of having to depend on like another person's availability and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to do this, just me and see, see where it goes. Yeah. It's, it's a good story because it feels like, um, you know, you almost have this like undercover motive, right? Where it's like you move to New York for photography, but you know, there's going to be music there and you're in the scene. And then you join a band, but you kind of have this other thing happening, which is that you kind of know you want to be up there with the guitar. Um, but I'm kind of curious, like, who was influencing those, like, early songs for you um, musically? Well, have you ever heard, a lot of people haven't heard this guy, but have you ever heard of Ralph White? He's an Austin guy. So Ralph White has an incredible album. Well, he has several albums, but he has an incredible album called Trash Fish. And I think, I think that's what it's called. Hold on. Let me look it up really quick. I'm like on my phone looking yeah. this up because I want to make sure I have this right. We'll cut uh, out this little yeah, yeah, delay. Yeah. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His album is called Trash. This album that I love is called Trash Fish. And basically Ralph White is the reason I started playing the banjo because when I was living in Austin, some friends of mine had this house where like a bunch of people lived that all like worked at the radio station and stuff called Rancho Relaxo and they would have like shows in their basement and like shows in their backyard and it would be like touring bands and local bands and one time and I would like always go and one time this guy named Ralph White played in their basement and he played the banjo and it was I'd never like heard a banjo played like that like he played a banjo he sang his songs and um and also like his versions of like some traditionals and stuff and it was like so moving and beautiful to me and like haunting mm. and so he's the reason that I started playing the banjo um and as far as like actually writing songs like the earliest songs I mean I don't know how apparent it is in the actual songs but like my biggest influences like in the earliest days, I mean, they're still there, but definitely like Joanna Newsome. And it's hard to remember now. I mean, mm-hmm. Karen Dalton, yeah. you know, but I found out about her kind of late. So I've been like playing the banjo and writing songs and stuff for a while before I heard about her. It's funny. Um, Texas Gladden, like I liked how she sang kind of crazy and, um, But it, yeah, it's hard to even really remember, like, specifically, oh, Kimia Dawson, yeah, believe yeah, it or yeah. not, yeah. actually, like, in the earliest days, like, Kimia Dawson, I remember going and seeing Kimia Dawson play at the Music Hall of Williamsburg when I was living there and, like, first starting to play shows and stuff, and, um, and, uh, who's the woman, the folk, 
the folk singer that has not Linda Perhax, although she was also really influential at that time. Um, she did some stuff with Devendra Banhart. How influential can she really be? Vashti Bunyan. <laughs> oh, Vashti yeah. Bunyan. Yes, oh my God. Yes. Thank you. Vashti Bunyan. But it's like, maybe I'm not remembering because I don't really. I want to take a walk you know, around in your mind. That's her. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. a great song. Yeah. So, yeah, these, this, like, you know, a lot of folk music. How was it moving back to Texas? Because you weren't going back to Dallas, you were going back to Austin, but uh, did that have like a feeling of homecoming at all or that you felt like uh, a belonging there maybe more than you did in New York? Yeah, I was really like pretty miserable living in New York. Now I love visiting. I love spending time there and, you know, even spending like a month there to like work on a project or something. I love that. But like at that time in my life, I think in some ways I was like too young to like I moved there at a weird time like I was I, I like to say I was almost like too young and too old to move there in that like I think if I had like moved there to go to undergrad and gone to like NYU or something right. and but you know what I mean and like been in the dorms and like I would have like made friends like like I did at UT but like because I moved there like right out of college at 21 and I didn't move there for a job I moved there to go to school but I didn't really fit in with the other people in my program so I didn't make friends there and so I just kind of felt like a fish out of water and I also had never really lived outside of Texas before that like I had spent time in other places but it was the first time like I remember when I got to New York I realized wait like I left Texas like I don't have it's not like I like left for the summer or something like I like don't have a reason to go back like I like left like and I panicked, you know, and I, I didn't really understand, like, I didn't, I didn't have an understanding of New York. Like, I think if I moved there now, I think I'd really like it, you know, but just at that time, it was all very confusing to me. And I learned a lot. It was cool. But when I got back to Austin, when I moved back to Austin, it was like, like, I remember I went to like the food co-op to get groceries that I'd like always gone to like in college. And I was like back and I like went to like get groceries for the first time. And I remember like the person working, like, you know, like looked me in the eye and was like, how's your day going? And was like, (laughs) just like being like really friendly and warm. And I, and I genuinely started tearing up because I was so (laughs) touched by like the kindness of this like Texan, like cashier at the food co-op, like being so nice to me. And, you know, I just, I, I learned, by leaving that I need like rivers and like, I need a car and I need trees and I like having a dog and like, I like living in a house and I like nature. That stuff's really important to me. I didn't really know that until I left. So yeah. yeah, So when I moved back, it was awesome. And I already had so many friends and such a built-in community of musicians and stuff that I was able to like start playing shows and like, record my first EP like in my friend's garage and have like my friends play on it and I think you know like for free and yeah yeah just I had people there to kind of like get going with music stuff and then how was the move to Los Angeles compared to that because you know you have this homecoming you go into Austin you start recording music things it feels like the ball starts rolling for you a little bit there and then you make this jump to LA, which is, you know, one of the coastal elite uh, headquarters. Totally, I know, but but I find that people here are so nice. 
Yeah, I, I, miss, I miss the mean <laughs> New York a little bit. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, spoken like a true East for, Coaster. Yeah, yeah, from Rhode Island, but, you know, close <laughs> I lived in New York for six years, yeah. I, you know, I didn't really want to leave Austin. I really wanted to live in Austin and have the career of my dreams you know, in music. And I kept like kind of setting these little, like, like little, what's the word? Like not guide posts, but I would, it was sort of like, okay, I'm going to see how this thing goes. And if like, I can quit my day job, then I can stay in Austin kind of thing. Like, you know, I was like hustling in Austin. I was like waiting tables and working at, you know, restaurants and stuff. And then I was a substitute teacher and like doing care, you know, it was just like whatever, like jobs and, and it's hard, you know, to like be, be like creative and like really be very prolific if you're like working a lot, like, with, you know what I mean? All day, like doing these other things, which I learned, like, I loved being a substitute teacher. It was awesome. Like, I'm so grateful, by the way, for that experience to be like in my twenties, like working with high school kids and stuff you know it was cool it was very IOP cool and at the same time it it wasn't what I wanted ultimately to be doing with my life even though I had moments where I was like well like maybe I could be a teacher like that'd be tight you know like I love this um and so I didn't want to leave Austin I just wanted to be able to like make a living doing music and it wasn't happening there and um no labels were paying attention to me really. I mean, I had like some local record labels in Austin that were interested in, in working with me, but I didn't really feel like that was much better than if I was just going to self-release mm -hmm. just cause, um, I had already been like self-releasing and it was going fine. And, you know, I, I wanted, if I was gonna go with a label and, and stuff, I wanted it to be like someone that could really help a lot and do more than what I felt like I could just do on my own. And so I basically, after I self-released a second album, I was like, you know, I think, well, I self-released an EP and then I self-released two albums. So I had like been kind of, you know, and, and both times like had sent the albums around and maybe you would get nice feedback, but no, you know, no one was really like making an offer. And meanwhile, like, going on tour and stuff, I'd go through LA and I really liked it. And the shows were always really cool. And I played like really cool house shows and met really nice people. And it just felt like there was an energy here that was interesting to me. And like, I thought I just wanted to, to try it. I just thought, you know, I just want to like check it out. And I was so in love with Austin. Like I didn't even want to say like, I'm moving to LA. I just said, I'm going to go for an extended stay. Mm -hmm. Like I had a friend who was subletting her house for a little bit. And I was like, I'm just going to go like sublet and just check it out. And, and I did, I came for like a few months and I really liked it. And then I was back in Texas for a little while. I was living in Lockhart. I made cosmic wink during that time when I was living in Lockhart, still didn't have a record label. My third album, and I was like, I got to move to LA. Like, <laughs> yeah. and my, my friend was moving out of her house and offered it to me. And it just kind of seemed like a, an opportunity to just like really dive in and, and try it out. So I, 
when she moved, I took over her house. I still live in that house to this day. <laughs> wow. And, and what, yeah. what year was that? So the official house takeover year was, that was the summer of 2017. Oh, wow. Because I, I, if I remember correctly, I, I could be wrong about this. I remember you saying like you moved to LA, but it wasn't really until like COVID, like the lockdown that you felt that like you really fell in love with it. Yeah, it's true. Like I was kind of like in and out so much, like before lockdown time. And I was so like one foot in, one foot out. Like I was mm-hmm. still like, I'm going to move back to Texas, like maybe in six months or, you know, it was always like LA is just like a thing I'm trying, but like Texas is home. And that's then, exactly like, how I feel right now. <laughs> you feel that right now? Yeah. Let's stick with you though. This is about you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but you haven't, like, when did you move here again? Like, not I'm, coming up on, I'm coming up on one year, like March something, March 15th or something of last year. I, I drove out here and then started work at Skylight, like, immediately. So it's just wow. about one year, yeah. I mean, it took me, like, two and a half mm. a year. I mean, it took me long. I think it took me longer than it takes a lot of people, though, because I was, honestly, I was probably gone more than I was here mm-hmm. those first couple of years. So... Yeah, once like, yeah, COVID. I don't know. It's weird. The lockdown, like, it was really nice to be in LA. It was. It felt really like special and weird and quiet and like I could get to the beach in twenty minutes with no traffic. <laughs> like, and was it that like a like a productive time for you creatively? Like, were you recording music? Because it's like it feels like the answer goes two ways. Where it's like I wasn't doing anything. I needed just to like not be consumed by dread and that meant like staying in bed or people were like kind of putting their nose down and cranking stuff out. Yeah. I was writing a lot. I wrote a lot of songs. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, it was supposed to be like tour time. Cause like my album Sorceress came out and I was supposed to be on tour like for the whole rest of the year basically. And then like all of that got canceled and I was just like, well, I might as well write another record. Amazing. And then I'm curious, so for those of you who don't know, I, I've teased it a little bit. Uh, Jess is a sometimes secondhand bookseller on Instagram. Uh, you can see the account. It's at vibe management, vibe underscore management. Um, and was that sort of like um, a holdover from your Austin days of just like wanting like a side hustle on top of music, like to be selling books on Instagram? You know, the thing is, I would say it was inspired a lot by when I lived in Austin because when I lived in Austin for a couple of years, my roommate was this amazing person named Michaela Bowman and she had a bookstore in Austin called Farewell Books and they had new and used books, but like the coolest stuff, like the the coolest stuff. And I would always like see the stuff that she carried and like, you know, admired what she was doing and, but didn't really know anything about it and then basically like what happened was so it was like COVID it was like lockdown time and well I guess I'm just jumping into the story of my management beginning is that okay yeah yeah that's great okay so I went to this estate sale one day like in my neighborhood Los Feliz the same neighborhood as Skylight Books my favorite neighborhood bookstore and I went to this estate sale and it was this estate sale for this person who had been like a rock, like a guitarist in a psychedelic rock band. He had like passed away. And so his stuff was like very cool. Like 
really special stuff. And I was looking through his books and they were amazing. And they were old, you know, like a lot of them were from like the 60s, 70s. And like, honestly, I thought about Michaela, my old roommate. And I thought about like her bookstore. And it was not anything I had ever like done, bought books to sell, but I just bought a huge stack of books. You know, I just like got excited and bought this huge stack of books and didn't really know what I was going to do with them and like reached out to Michaela and we were talking about it. And I had had this Instagram account called Vibe Management that I just had never posted anything. Like I had started it as like a, I didn't even know what it was. I'd started actually when I was living in Lockhart in like 2017. I just like made the account. I posted some like just pictures of stuff I like or my own photography or whatever. I didn't really know what it was going to be. And then I just. Yeah, Finsta. Basically, I thought like maybe I'll be one of those people that makes like one of those cool Instagram accounts with like pretty pictures. But then I didn't care enough. You know what I mean? So I, it was inactive for three years. And then I happened to log in. And I noticed that it had like all these followers. And I was like, who are all these? Like, what is this? You know, come to find out, I think it was like, in retrospect, I think it, they were all fake. I think they were like bots, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. I one day I actually like kind of like scrolled and I was like, wait, these, na- these don't seem like real human beings. Like, <laughs> so I don't think, yeah. I think most of those followers are fake. I didn't buy them, but I don't know why they're there. I don't understand it, honestly. Yeah. But, but it was this thing where I was like, well, well, wow, I guess all these people are like following my inactive account. Like maybe I could start selling stuff. Like I like this kind of like punk rock thing of like, you can just sell stuff on Instagram. I mean, I know Instagram couldn't be less punk rock, but I like, (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of like, I don't have to go on eBay or Etsy and like pay a percentage. Like I can literally just make a post and another human being can see that post and they can message me and they can send me a Venmo. Like, that's cool. And it's like COVID and like, I have nothing but time. And so I, um, oh no, my phone just said low battery, but it's probably fine. Yeah. Basically, so I like talked to Michaela about it and she taught me everything I know about like selling books because she is a professional, legit bookseller. And she taught me how she prices things. She taught me how she writes the descriptions. You know, she was so nice. And, um, and I have another friend named Travis Kent who now, who, and by the way, Michaela's still selling books. It's now under a name called Attaway Books and it's amazing. And then my other friend, Travis Kent, who also had farewell books at the time with Michaela. Now he's doing, um, a thing where he sells books under the name work related. And so I also talked to Travis and he gave me all this amazing advice. I was so genuinely touched by how like encouraging and supportive they were. Like there was no competition and there was no, like, they didn't make me feel like I wasn't allowed in the club. They were like, cool, good for you. Like, give it a try. Like they were so nice, you know, and just genuine and open and helpful. And I mean, even down to like how to clean the books, like buying alcohol and buying like razor blades to like get the tags off and, you know, just all that stuff. They're so nice to me about it. And so I thought, well, I have this stack of books. Let's just see what happens. You know, I've got the time and like this Instagram account with 
all these followers, which I think are fake, but now, but I didn't know it at the time, you know? And so I just posted all the books and they all sold basically. Pretty cool. I mean, at this point, you've been doing it for a little while, kind of on and off, it seems. I bought a copy of William Gaddis's Carpenter's Gothic off of you. Good That's selection right. over there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And you, you know, have... no, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say it's, it's off and on just because, like, with the online thing, it is so time consuming. And yeah. so, like, during lockdown I had nothing but time so it's a little bit it's a funny thing now where like I actually have like a huge stack of books I want to sell but I don't have time to like do it on Instagram so I'm like wondering about like in-person stuff maybe down the line but because it's really fun it's just like with how much time it takes to do it online it's sort of it sort of gets like it's sort of um it sort of feels silly to sell a book for like $8 on Instagram with like how much time it takes to sell yeah. that book for a yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean like basically every bookstore that survived COVID now has a permanent e-commerce wing to it. And it's like, you're just going to need at least one or a couple people who that's all they do is wow. build the orders, get them shipped, you know, deal with customer inquiry it's like, you know, it's not something you can just do in two hours, uh, you know, on top of your other job and, you know, everything's yeah. fine. You got to deal with snail mail. So it's, yeah, it, it's time consuming. Totally. But you had, a, you had, you've teased the story to me uh, uh, separately, but you had a, a strange encounter recently on a, yeah. yeah. All right. This is why we're here, people. This story. Because when you initially asked me to do this podcast, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't have as much time for vibe management. Like, I don't know if it makes sense for me to go on this guy like books podcast, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's what my coworker said too. (laughs) Oh really? That's so funny. (laughs) And then wait about me or about themselves. Uh, Go on. Continue. (laughs) Let me talk to this coworker. (laughs) Um, so I was like, I don't think it makes sense for me to go on your podcast. And then this crazy thing happened. And then I texted you and I was like, wait, we should talk about this. Okay, so actually that very first time that I did, like the very first five management drop, there was one book that didn't sell. And it was called Our Earth, Our Cure. It was like this cool, like natural medicine book from I think the 70s. I really liked it. Like, I really liked the cover. I really liked um, the inside. It was designed really cool, like really hippie and like had a lot of like cool information. Like I liked it, but you know, I did my research based on the stuff that I'd learned and like, it was worth, I, I priced it at $18. It was not, you know, like a rare valuable book um, at that time and nobody bought it. Nobody bought it. And so it was this thing where I was like, kind of like happy that no one bought it because I liked it, you know? And so I was like, okay, I guess this is just mine now. Like, we'll see. And then, you know, I was on tour. I was busy. Like, I hadn't looked at the Vibe Management account in a while. I wasn't like actively selling any new stuff and forgot that this one was like way back in the feed and like still said for sale. And one day I'm on my like, personal Instagram account and I get this message from someone that I don't know 
And it's like a link to the post from like, I think the fall of 2020 when I listed that book and it said, Hey, can I buy this book? And I'm like, that's weird. And I go law, I like dust off the old vibe management account. I like log in for the first time in months. And I noticed that like in the past couple of days, two different people had messaged me about that book and somebody else had commented on the same the same post like being like hey how do i buy this book and i'm like okay. this is weird like are these is this like a scam are these bots like what is this and so i think it's fake but i replied to the person that like took the time to like find my personal account and i was like sure you can buy it like here's how it works like here's my venmo she was like okay thank you so much i'm going to download venmo I'm going to sign up for Venmo so I can pay for this. And I'm like, this is so weird. But then I like get the Venmo and like, she sends me her address and I'm like, it's literally like, you know, in a, I like pack it up. I, I like put it in the envelope. I'm like, it's on my desk. Like I'm going to go to the post office the next day. And I decide to respond to the other person that had messaged me. And I was like, Hey, sorry. Like it's sold already. And, and she write, wrote back like right away. And she was like, Oh, that's okay. Like, thanks for letting me know. And I think I even said, I was like, it's so weird. I got like three different requests for that same book in one day. And this person, the person who didn't buy it was like, oh, well, yeah, this book is kind of having a moment right now on the internet. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, yeah, it's going viral on TikTok. <laughs> and I was like, really? And I'm not on TikTok. And I, you know, I Googled the book. And I saw that it was for sale on eBay for starting bid $5,000. <laughs> and that was the only one I could find. It wasn't like yeah, yeah. back, back in like the fall of 2020, when I searched it, it was everywhere for nothing, you know? And it's like, yeah. there wasn't on all of my channels where I like would search to see what books are priced at. It was sold out everywhere. And there was one on the entire internet and it was on eBay for $5,000. And then there was, you know, mine yeah. that this person had just been to me $22, oh, you know, which yeah. includes shipping for. And so I'm, so now this like second person is like my friend and I'm like, wait, are you serious? Like, can like, how do I see this? Like, I don't use TikTok. And she was like, here, I'll show you. And she like went on TikTok and did like a screen recording of like these videos and basically and then, and then I figured out how to do it. And I went into TikTok and I saw these videos myself, but basically like this person who is a, I guess has a large following on TikTok, sort of like in the conspiracy realm of like big pharma and stuff mm -hmm. had made a video where she was like, this is the kind of book that you need to be reading. It's called Our Earth, Our Cure. You know, it's all about how like everything we need to heal our bodies is like in the earth, in the natural world. And she like makes this whole video. That's the first video where she's just like, hey, this book is great. Everyone go get this book. Then the second video is she's like, so four days ago when I posted my video, this book was selling on Amazon for, you know, some amount, $100 or something, which is still a lot. And she was like, now when I go look, this video is, I mean, this book is for sale for $3,000. And then if you look again, it's for seven, like whatever, basically like this whole thing with Amazon where like the price of this book was like $7,000 or some like crazy amount. And her whole thing to her TikTok followers is she's like, what do they not want us 
to know like what's in this book so the idea was that big pharma caught wind of the tiktok and decided we need to keep this out of print book out of people's hands so we'll drive up the price so that no one gets their hands on it i love it that is what she seemed to be implying in her video that there is something in this book that they don't want us to know and that is why so many people wanted the book even down to on etsy people are selling pdfs of the book digital files of the yeah. book for 50 dollars. wow do you think she was sitting on multiple copies of this book and was <laughs> <laughs> how funny she's actually the person that has it on ebay for five grand starting yeah with. yeah yeah <gasps> so it. it so so i wrote the original person and i was like hey i'm really sorry i just found out what's going on with this book i cannot sell you this book wow <laughs> You canceled the transaction. Yes, I was gonna, and that was going to be my next question. So you got fleeced and followed through or you, you backed out? I backed out. I hadn't <laughs> mailed it yet. And I was just like, I just need to take a beat because this is crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just need to like take a second. Like what's even going on? What is this? You know? And actually she was so nice. She was oh, like, wow. no problem at all. I totally understand. I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I just like refunded her $22. Yeah. And um, I called my bookseller friends. I called Michaela, I called Travis, and I got some advice from them. And then um, I myself put the book on eBay. And <laughs> Cashed in. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. sold it. And what's really funny is I sold it, and I got really sad, actually, like when it sold, because it was like, it's, it, it went for like, to me, a lot of money. Yeah. And that was cool. But then I was like, damn, like, I actually love this book, you know? And like, I had been like looking every day to see if there were more copies. There were no copies ever, except for like the other one on eBay for five grand. Yeah. And then the day that I sold it, I just happened to check Amazon just to see because I was sad. Whoa, 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 if this is an Amazon happy ending story, it's out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about a happy ending on Amazon Skylight Books podcast. <laughs> well. So, so in the end, you uh, uh, another copy appeared, and you ended up uh, with the book. We won't, we won't say where. It yeah. Came from. yeah, yeah. In the okay. end, yeah, I was able to find. For some reason, the day that mine sold, I was able to find another copy and I bought it. It was for like 25 bucks and I bought it. And so I have it sitting right here. And so you got I all have the, the book. Yeah, you got all the secrets that Big Pharma doesn't want us to know. Healthy living. I see wisps of incense smoke drifting across the frame here. It's a <laughs> healthy living out here in Los Feliz. <sighs> Yeah, so kind of a crazy story. Amazing, amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, follow Vibe Management. Maybe there'll be more secret uh, books of good living that are hot items on Conspiracy Theory TikTok coming up soon. Yep. Yeah, probably, almost certainly. Uh, my last question for you is uh, you're heading out on tour soon. I've always kind of wondered, like, you're a reader. Um, do you read much on tour? Like, how does that... Uh, that affect the reading life at all is it like an escape for you or are you just sort of like you know spacing out on the bus stop to stop um, i i'm not that good at reading on tour honestly 
I want to get better at it, but I'm, I'm just so easily distracted. There's like so much going on, but I'm glad you asked because I'm inspired to really try harder on this tour to read a lot because there's so much time. You could read a lot. Yeah. There's always people around. There's, you know, it's just, there's a lot of energy in, in the air and buzzing around. It could, like, I think of reading as something I do like when I'm alone. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you have anything on your tour stack that you're going to bring or that you've been trying to get to? I've been reading this book called The Powers of Two. It's a nonfiction book about creative pairs. Um, about like it talks about like um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. It talks about Trey Parker and Matt Stone. It talks about Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Like basically, it's like this guy wrote this book about like the power of a creative pair and like the dynamics at play, how they work. And it's uh, been a fun read, but I feel like I need a good novel. So if you have any recommendations, I'd love. Certainly do. That's what we do at Skylight. I'll, uh, um, I mean, the ones that are going to come immediately to mind, fake accounts, Lauren Euler. That's one of the Nat recently in paperback. It's a really good contemporary, you know, funny, uh, insightful depiction of contemporary life, like during Trump pre- Trump's presidency. Um, what else have I? I'm just looking around my apartment. I'm reading uh, the Flamethrowers. Rachel Kushner. Rachel Kushner was like a writer for Art Forum for years, and this is like set in the '70s in New York City's like downtown art scene, but also like the Italian Red Brigade labor movement in the '70s. That's a really cool one. I think you'd be into like the time period and feeling of it, but. Cool. Uh, I, 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 you're not the first person to recommend that, actually. It was a big book when it came out in 2013. I'm reading it actually for my family's book club, uh, which means... That's so cute. Your family has a book club? Yeah, yeah. I started a few years ago. We're in our third year. We're going strong. Uh, wow, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think this is the 12th book we're doing. I pick all the books. There's no book. That's very cool. <laughs> that's very, very sweet. Uh, yeah. It, it's and they listen to you. They read whatever you tell them to read. They always like the books Mikey picks, you know? Wow. You know, sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes they're a little too dark, but they tend to like <laughs> yeah, you know, We have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't like those works, you can always swing by Skylight. We got a, all the booksellers have good different tastes. So that's Dude, I mean. will. I'm going to come to Skylight before tour and I'm going to purchase a book from y'all. Yeah. And, I'm, and you know what? And I'm going to read it. There you go. There you go. I love setting the intention. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I brought, I made the mistake of bringing Lonesome Dove on the last tour I did. And it's just, I, I, it's weird. I don't know. I, I would love it when I was reading it. And then I just had this weird wall between like, actually, yeah. have you I read mean, Lonesome well, Dove? I haven't. I was reading Walter Benjamin at the Dairy Queen, his book. Uh, Dude. His it's great. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read that the whole thing, but I have, I, I love yeah, what I've read of that. Yeah. I, I picked that up recently like at a friend's house and was like, this is genius. I love this. Yeah. Lonesome Dove is long though. I mean, I have that feeling with long books sometimes where it's just like, you know, reading 30 pages doesn't feel like a dent. So it becomes to feel like Sisyphean, you know, like you're yes. going to get it done. Yeah. Yes, totally. That, uh, no. And on tour, I kind of need something a little bit. Yeah, just. We'll get you some Easier. short stories. Yeah, it sounds like you need yeah. short stories and some essays, you know? Like, yeah. you get, read for 20 minutes and you get a feeling of completion and the whole experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Jess. Thanks uh, for having me. Today's guest was singer-songwriter Jess Williamson. 
You can order many of the books we mentioned on today's podcast at skylightbooks.com or swing by, pick them up at the store. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again, Jess. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.